Good morning. It's been quite a week, hasn't it, in the world in which we live. Uh, we've had the result of the US election coming through gradually. Uh, we've had the announcement of the prospect of vaccines uh, for COVID, which is such good news. We're not there yet, but it looks like it's on its way. And uh, I know that many of you who are watching this morning have been praying and uh, I know that also that within the RM family of churches, uh, particularly with the Enough Prayer initiative uh, that happened on Friday night, um, again praying about vaccine, but also had been previously over months before as well. Really thousands of people praying, uh, asking God for breakthrough on vaccines. And so let's not forget his dimension, his hand in, in all of this as well. This morning, I'm going to talk to you um, under the title of Authentic Faith. And we're going in the next in our series on scattered servants from the book of Philippians. And we're going to read today from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 9, which will come up on the screen for you. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, of the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi, but what relevance it has for today, despite the strange ideas that appear in that passage that refer back to practices from thousands of years ago. But we'll see that there are some principles that really do apply to us today. Whatever happens, rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. In other words, there is a reason rejoicing in the Lord is the reason for the rejoicing. It's not a hollow thing. It's something that is actually a very full thing. Even in times of persecution, which the church in Philippi were facing in a very real way, he says to them, whatever happens, rejoice. If he was writing to us today, I have no doubt that he would say, 
even in times of a pandemic, whatever happens, rejoice. A number of years ago, Andrew and I began to visit a guy called Kofi, who had been imprisoned not that far from where we lived, just a few miles. And uh, we started to visit him. The first time we went, we knew that he was a, a Christian. He'd become a Christian quite recently, and uh, after he'd been arrested. And um, we got to the prison, and we were sh- had to make our way in through all the doors and all the rest of it. And uh, we were thinking to ourselves, I wonder how we'll know uh, who he is, which one he is, whether we'll be able to kind of tell in any way. And as the, uh, the prisoners filed in, in their probably about 100 altogether, and most of them were black, which shocked us and was a comment, isn't it, about racism in our society? That's not what I'm here to talk about today, but I have to just say that. And we were thinking, how will we know which one he is? And the amazing thing was, as he came out, maybe the 80th one to appear through that door, we immediately knew that's him. He had a remarkable joy in God. His face was shining way before he saw us. His face was shining. It shone. He was different. He stood out. There was something very attractive and magnetic about just his very visage. And that was because he'd come to know Jesus. He'd received a salvation. He'd come into a relationship with God that made all the difference. So even in prison, he could rejoice. Separated from his wife and his family, he could rejoice. It was such a blessing to us to visit him, let alone, hopefully, it was a blessing for him to have us visit him as well. How do we rejoice whatever happens? I would suggest to you that we can remember who God is, remember what he's done, remember how he saved you. These are the things that largely go together to helping us to rejoice in the Lord, thinking about the nature of the glorious, wonderful, almighty, holy, loving, powerful Father that he is. Remembering what he's done, the way that he has given us life, remembering how he saved you in his Son, how the Son of God, Jesus himself, came, died a terrible death in order to save you, in order to bring you back into relationship with him, in order to save you from a a pathway that was not going to be a good one, that was leading to destruction, and to save you from that and to bring you into a living, eternal relationship with him. He gave his life for that. He saved us. Let's remember who he is, what he's done, how he saved us. And as we do that, as that, that affects us on the inside, so we will find that joy in God is an increasing ever daily reality. Rejoicing in the Lord, whatever happens. It was Paul's apostolic expectation right through this letter of Philippians. Remember, writing to a church that was in trouble, that was under real pressure. 
And he says in chapter 1, verse 25, he wants to come so he can help them grow in their and experience the joy of their faith. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, always be full of the joy of the Lord. And here in chapter 3, he's saying, whatever happens, rejoice. There's a theme running right through the letter. So authentic faith is, first of all, characterized by joy. Characterized by joy. And the more this is our experience, the more we will be like Kofi, who we visited in the prison, who shone something very special as we go about our daily lives, as we're even seeing people at a distance, or socially distance, there will be a shining dimension to our lives and to our, even our faces that is different and the people notice that witnesses to Jesus and what he's done for us. So joy in a prison, joy even in a pandemic as scattered servants. And Paul goes on to say, Watch out for those dogs. It's, a, it's, a not, it's not exactly a pleasant phrase. It's a highly derogatory term, actually. He's referring here to, to, le- to the legalists, the, those who put conditions on your acceptance by God, by Jesus. Those who say that Jesus' sacrifice is actually not enough. You've got to add something to that. Now, the specific instance that he's referring to is the ancient rite of circumcision. We don't need to go into that in detail today. You'll be glad to hear. But what he is also referring to is the, is the layers upon layers of other conditions that people who said that you had to be circumcised as well as come to Jesus in order to be accepted by God, they also added more and more layers of rules and regulations and other things as well that you had to do. You know, you had to refrain from certain foods, for example. That was one of their rules. You had to obey the rules. You had to be a good person. And this kind of thinking can still be around. It can have crept into our minds, our thinking, if we're not careful. I doubt that it would be regarding to circumcision, but it might be regarding to others of these layers that get added if we're not careful. So that we can end up, if we're not careful believing that we have to kind of do certain things to really be fully accepted by God. Or at least he'll definitely accept and love us more if we do the right things. I used to say to my children when they were growing up, I will love you just as much whatever you do. And that's how God feels. That's how he thinks. That's how he is towards you. If you're one of his children, if you've put your faith in Jesus... You have been totally accepted. You're totally loved by your heavenly Father. What you do or don't do cannot change that. Makes no difference at all. Let's not allow even a little bit of legalism to creep into our thinking and our beliefs so that we start to think, if we're not careful, that God will love us more if we do certain things or he will love us less if we do other things. It's not true. Paul's attitude is incredibly strong to that kind of thinking. He says, watch out for those dogs. People who think that way are like dogs. Now, he's not talking about pets, nice, friendly little pets that we might think of in our households, some of us. He's talking about the street dogs that wandered around, often in packs, hunting for for food to eat. It reminded me of when Andrew and I visited Gareth and Nicola McCormick when they were living in China. And going out into the, the, 
countryside around, which is pretty bare, actually, but uh, we'll call it countryside. And uh, lots of people had dogs, which were chained up, usually on long chains. I remember one particular time, we're walking and minding our own business, so to speak, up a particular hill, mountainside pathway, and suddenly this ferocious dog, a massive dog, came right towards us until it got to the end of its chain, and push, it was sort of held, thrown back on his, on his neck. He would have had us if he could. That's the kind of dog Paul is talking about when he says, watch out for those dogs. Those people who think that you've got to add something to what Jesus has done in order to be fully accepted, fully saved, fully loved by God. Watch out for them. They're dangerous and it's not true. So authentic faith is characterized by joy and authentic faith is characterized by freedom. We are not bound to obey the rules and all that stuff. We're free. We have been set free. The power of Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient. It's more than sufficient to free us from the power of sin and death and all its consequences. To bring us into a place of loving relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love that will never, ever go away. So we rely on Christ, what he's done for us. We put no confidence, Paul says, in human effort. Everything else is worthless. So thirdly and finally, authentic faith is received, not achieved. Because Jesus has already done it all. Paul said we rely on what Christ has done for us. When I was a a cadet, as a teenager, this brought this back to me. We went went rock climbing and abseiling one day. I absolutely hated it wasn't my thing at all. I've realized now I really don't have a head for heights at all. And in abseiling, there we were, top of the cliff, and what you have to all you have to do is jump backwards with the rope attached and you trust the rope and the attachments on the top are going to hold you and you make your way down joyfully to the bottom of the cliff. Sounds easy. It was incredibly difficult. For most of us, and I certainly found it very, very hard. My jumping off the cliff was more like a a tiny hop um, as I struggled to take that step. But the relying upon the rope is a really good analogy of of, of, uh, the fact that God calls us to rely on Christ and what he's done for us. We throw ourselves, if you like, onto him. We throw ourselves onto him as that rope that we're relying on him to catch us, to save us, to forgive us. And to make us a child of God. We're not going to put confidence in how good we can be. We're not going to put confidence in anything that we can do ourselves. Our reliance, our confidence is in Jesus. And Paul says that if anybody could have had confidence in his own efforts to get acceptance from God, he was the one. And in the verses that we read, he explains, we won't read them again, but basically what he's saying is he was a Pharisee. That's the Jewish elite. There were only 6,000 of them. They were called the separated ones. They were really special. They had the strictest obedience to the law of Christ possible. And he says, I once thought all of that was valuable, but now I've discarded it completely because I've realized it's of no use whatsoever. And whether you're a Christian today that has a slight tendency to fall back on making your own effort in order to be acceptable by God, or whether you're somebody that hasn't yet become a Christian, hasn't yet put your faith in Jesus, hasn't yet relied upon him, like the abseiling analogy, 
The same is true. It's true for both of you, whoever you are, that it's only through faith in Christ and total reliance upon him that we can come into a relationship with God. We can do nothing ourselves to make that happen. I was driving once in Wimbledon High Street and I realised that I'd gone the wrong way. It was late at night. There was almost nobody around. Empty street. And I thought, what am I going to do? I just, I've got to turn around. So I just did a it's real, nice big wide road, quick U-turn and went back the other way. Unfortunately, what I didn't know was A, there were signs up that said no U-turns in this street. That was not so good. Uh, even worse, there was a policeman about 50 yards behind me who saw me do the U-turn and, stopped, and stood out in the road and said, stop! And they gave me a good talking to. Thankfully, that was all he did do. I just didn't think. It was not the time to do a U-turn. There are times when it is good to do a U-turn. And here's a picture of one such, one such event. I couldn't believe it when I found this photo. There's a time to turn around. And you may be somebody who has been thinking, well, I'll take my chance with God. I'll, I haven't been such a bad person. Um, I, think it'll, I think it'll be all right. It's time to stop thinking that. Because whatever your own efforts are, whatever any of our own efforts are, they're not anywhere near sufficient. A young man came to a preacher one day and was basically saying, well, I'm not such a bad person. I think maybe you know, I'll be all right when I meet God, if I do, ever. And the preacher said to him, well, if we think of a scale of naught to infinity, um, if we think of naught being the most evil person, maybe that's where Satan is, you know, the, the lowest of the low, evil of evils, and you, know, you may, don't know who you would put sort of down the bottom of the human rung, maybe you, some people in history maybe put Hitler down there and murderers down there, that, that kind of thing. And you know, maybe up the other end of the scale, you might think, well, Mother Teresa, she was pretty amazingly good and holy and pure and that kind of thing. And, but actually, God is perfect. He's, he's way higher. Where would, you, where would you put yourself on that sort of scale? If I was to try to put myself on there, I would be nowhere near Mother Teresa and a whole load further down below where God is. Infinitely pure, infinitely holy. Almighty God, I wonder where you'd put yourself. In the end, whether you put yourself near the bottom, somewhere in the middle, or you're a bit more optimistic and say, well, maybe I'm a bit further up. Wherever you put yourself, there is this gap between our righteousness, our best efforts to be good, inverted commas, and the reality of the perfection of the holiness for Almighty God. And that's why Jesus came to bridge that gap. And he says to you today, there is a time to turn around. There's a time to stop trusting in your own efforts to get right with God or hoping that it will be okay on that basis. There's a time to say, actually, I'm going to put my trust and reliance on Jesus and what he's done. To recognize that on the cross, he died and paid the price, the more than sufficient price, 
for all of our wrongdoing, all of our sins of the whole humanity. And all he says is, will you put your trust in me? Will you lean back on that rope, like the abseiling analogy? Will you let me take the strain, take the weight? If you put your faith and trust in me, I'll forgive you. Faith, authentic faith is received, not achieved. If you're somebody who recognizes that you need to make that decision, that step, to put your trust in Christ, then my personal email address is going to go up on the screen in a moment. And if you email me, if you say, actually, I'd like to know more about this, then I will give you a personal reply. I can promise you that. So let me finish. Authentic faith, characterized by joy. As we remember who God is, what he's done for us. Let the joy of God rise up in our hearts and cause our faces to shine like Kofi even in prison so that we are amazing scattered servants who witness to Jesus in a beautiful, wonderful, lively and powerful way. Authentic faith is characterized by freedom, not legalism, not a hint of it. No suggestion of, the, of God loving us or accepting us more if we did the right things or, that he would, or, he, or less if we do the wrong things. No, we're free. We have been freed in Christ. It's a complete done deal. He died once and for all. So we watch out for those dogs. We won't, won't take those. And there's a time to recognize that salvation is received, not achieved. It's a time to turn around. Shall we pray together for a moment? Jesus, we, we thank you that we don't have to obey the rules to be totally and utterly loved and accepted by you. We thank you so much. Why don't you, wherever you are, express your own prayer to God in your heart, echoing that kind of sentiment, responding to him, whatever it is he's been particularly speaking to you about this morning. As I just give you a little time to do that, we're going to have, take bread and wine together in a few moments. Just such a good way of us remembering what he's done for us that in itself fuels our joy as we do so. Just keep praying your prayers to God and I'll pray for you at the same time. Father, I pray that your joy will flood our souls again as we remember who you are, what you're like, and what you've done for us and where our eternity is. Lord, let the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and the effect and impact on us hit us again. And stir our souls. Fill us with joy. Whatever our life circumstance. Thank you that we can have a depth of joy in our being even in a time of pandemic, even if we're in prison. Because nothing can take away the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. 
Let that rise in our hearts. Let that bubble up in your souls. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength, as Scripture says. We're going to share bread and wine together now, and if you're watching right now on Sunday morning as we broadcast this, then get hold of your bread and wine. Hopefully you've got those to hand somewhere nearby. And uh, I want to just, I'd want to ask us to, to keep it just until we're all ready. I'm just going to give everybody a moment. So that although we're not together, we can do this together all at the same time. And in that, know that we are together. We stand together as one in Christ because of what he's done for us. Let me read before we eat. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together now, and I'll give you a moment to pray your prayer and prayer of thanks. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for dying. We thank you that you gave your body. We thank you that there is life in you and we feed on you in our hearts by faith right now as we eat this bread that represents your very body. Fill us with life again. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for the cleansing that we receive through faith in you and the blood that you shed that takes away all our sin, that has made us completely accepted by you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for meeting with us today. We pray, let joy rise up in our hearts day by day as we remember who you are and what you've done and cause our faces to shine as scattered servants amongst the community where we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.